thank you and welcome again. This uh, past week, uh, we held uh, the memorial service for our friend and colleague, uh, Ed Hackworth, who uh, died on January uh, 14th. It's still uh, a shock, sort of, to, to look to the left and, and, and not see uh, Ed over there. Ed served this congregation from 1998 to 2022. And it dawned on me that um, as I prepared for Ed's service that he came to us after he retired from the Department of Navy when he was 65. So all of you who are considering the big retirement wave, come see me, may have a job for you uh, to do. And and what an incredible way, seriously, to invest uh, your retirement years. It was a wonderful service at Greenspring Chapel. Lots of people there. Uh, at least 100 people celebrating Ed's life. Ed is uh, survived by uh, two sisters, one named Ollie, who is uh, in her 90s, and Judy, who is in her 80s. And before the service, uh, as, as is my custom, I like to chat with families and, and uh, before we, we go in for the service. And I was chatting with, with Judy, and let me just tell you up front, Judy is um, a classic... Um, somewhat sassy southern lady and uh, as I was wrapping up my chat was just about to walk in for the funeral service I noticed she had on this beautiful wool uh, black and white jacket and so I said to her Judy you look beautiful today to which she responded without missing a beat honey you just can't hide beauty (laughs) and I thought okay time to go in for the service (laughs) honey you just can't hide beauty Well, today uh, we begin a new series called A Beautiful Life, Jesus. Our Lord led a most beautiful life. He taught with an authority and a power that was absolutely stunning. He opened the life of God to people whom others had pushed off to the margins. He touched untouchables. He went to parties with what many would call the party crowd. He healed servants and family members of the hated Roman elite, many, many, many thought that he was absolutely winsome, special, a one of a kind. Yet, while he walked the earth, it seemed at times his beauty was hidden. In this series, we'll see how he was routinely criticized by members of his own faith. They didn't think of what he was saying was beautiful at all, some of them. He battled demonic forces who opposed him. And we know that he was ultimately betrayed, arrested, rejected, and executed. But even then, by the power of God, he was raised from the dead. A most beautiful reality for us all. So this series is, as I mentioned earlier, based on the book of Mark. Now, we're not going to cover every single verse in Mark, but we're going to journey through ten highlights as we move toward Easter, and we'll conclude with our Easter celebration Our text this morning is found in Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 8. Let me invite you to turn or launch your Bibles there if you like. The text will also be uh, on the screens behind me and also on your screen at home. Uh, Before I read the text, though, let me provide just a very brief overview of Mark. Mark is considered the very first gospel written. You will see sections of Mark Uh, appear both in Luke and Matthew almost verbatim, which means that more than likely uh, Luke and Matthew had a copy of Mark when they wrote their Gospels. 
It's the shortest gospel, and you'll notice it moves along really quickly. If you have an opportunity to read Mark in one setting, I invite you to, which, which uh, you'll notice how many times Jesus seemed to be just moving fast in his journeys. The English word immediately appears 12 times in Mark, more than any other gospel. The word immediately in the, is from the Greek word ethos, uh, which means in the English, well, immediately. That's nice when they just mean exactly what uh, we've transliterated it to be. Or as my mom used to say, right quick-like. I wish there was a southern translation of the Bible. Jesus moved right quick-like. Um, so we have to ask, why is Mark in such a hurry? Good question. Mark was written in the 60s. No, not the 1960s when boomers thought the world was invented, but in the actual 60s. And it was a time of real crisis for the church. Many of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection were beginning to die. And so they wanted to make sure that they took the stories that were passed from oral tradition to oral tradition. They wanted to make sure that they would be written down for future generations. Also during this period, Christians were, were looked upon with great suspicion in Rome. Uh, they were often... Uh, Rumors about Christians uh, that were untrue, and they were ultimately scapegoated for a devastating fire in Rome in 64, and there, that started the great persecution, and persecution was intense for Christians. You can almost visualize Mark writing this gospel as he was huddled with disciples underground, trying to all at once spread the word about Jesus and stay alive. The author's name is Mark. Tradition says it's the same John Mark that accompanied uh, Paul on some of his missionary journeys, but we can't be sure. Mark was a very, very popular and common name during that time. And the Gospel of Mark is considered to reflect the teaching of Peter, that Mark was, was trying to gather the teaching of Peter, the first leader of the early church. If you'd like to dig deeper into the background of Mark's Gospel, I encourage you to check out David Garland's commentary on Mark from the NIV application series. I've listed it uh, in your uh, resource notes. So with all this in mind, let's begin our journey with Mark as we seek to discover more and more about the beautiful, incredible life of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locust and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. And what I'd like to do today in the, the, the moments we have remaining is, is sort of offer a big picture, sort of introductory conversation that will set the stage uh, for the following weeks. And I want us to notice three big picture aspects of this beautiful life of Jesus. And the first one is, this beautiful life is for you and it's for all people. 
Mark's introduction is quite different than the other Gospels, right? So Matthew and Luke give us this sort of baby book picture of Jesus. Matthew starts with the genealogy and then goes right into the Christmas story. Tells us about the story of Joseph and, and the Magi and the escape to Egypt. And so we see that section of the Christmas story. And then Luke's Gospel opens with another genealogy from a different point of view, but similar. And then gives us the great soaring Christmas story of of Mary and, and uh, the, the manger and the stable and, and the shepherds and the angels. It's just this beautiful Christmas story that we're so familiar with. John's gospel opens with this soaring theological rhetoric. If it was a symphony, it would be Beethoven or Mozart, right? So really different than how we see Mark opening up. Mark opens with sort of a lunch pail, let's go to work quality about it. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now let's go. And you just hear the tone being different. You don't have the baby book part, right? No time for that. But you do hear echoes of the Christmas story. Remember what the angel told the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And then Mark starts the beginning of the good news. Both passages use the term good news. Now, this is what the, the word gospel means when we use the word gospel. However, when we use it, we don't necessarily give it much thought. We associate it with the four gospels that, that start the New Testament. We consider it a, a sort of a literary term. However, to a first century Roman reader, they would have heard that term much differently. According to Garland, at first, the Greek term evangelizo, which is what's, how we translate gospel or good news, it was used for a proclamation of victory on the battlefield. Yet to most inhabitants of Rome, the Roman Empire, it became associated with what was known as the emperor cult. It represented the announcements of important events like the birth of an heir to the emperor, his coming of age or his ascension to the throne. These events would be labeled as glad tidings or gospels. And these imperial glad tidings would be announced and the pretentious claims of self-important men and the fawning flattery of their vassals. That was their purpose. And all the benefits and victories and policies of the emperor were usually only experienced by the privileged and the powerful. And so in, in, in a Roman context, when somebody says, hey, I have a glad tiding or I have a good news, it was never for all the people. It was for the privileged and the powerful. We see examples of this today. Have you read stories about the state of the economy, both before COVID, during COVID, and as we hopefully begin to enter a post-COVID stage? You hear a lot about how the stock market is, 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 in general, is doing really well, or, or especially in areas like we live in, you hear a lot about how real estate prices have gone up and up and up and up. It seems like even through a pandemic, the wealthy just keep getting wealthier. There are those who have actually financially benefited from the last couple of years, and yet there are those who did not. The rise in the cost of basic goods is really doing a number on those who are living on the financial razor's edge. I must buy a lot of chicken because I just remember, chicken's up 14%. You guys know that? And they can't keep it in stock at Harris Teeter. Brian's tired of me saying that. 
But it's serious for people living on the financial razor's edge. According to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, listen to this, the impacts of the pandemic and the economic fallout have been widespread, but remain particularly prevalent among black adults, Latino adults, and other people of color. These disproportionate impacts reflect harsh, long-standing inequities, often stemming from structural racism in education, employment, housing, and health care that the current crisis has exacerbated. Households with children also continue to face especially high hardship rates. Considerable evidence suggests that reducing childhood hardship and poverty would yield improvements in education and health, higher productivity and earnings, less incarceration, and other lasting benefits to children and society. This is just an example in one area of life how good news for some is not always good news for everyone. And by the way, this is why the church always needs to be focused on those who are on the margins, those who are not experiencing the good news that the rest of our culture is experiencing when it comes to various uh, key aspects of life. So it's just an, an example. But when it comes to what it means to be in a relationship with God, when it comes to the spiritual journey, Jesus is good news. He's good news of great joy for all people. All. This is not a good news proclamation for the privileged, powerful few. This is good news for all people. And as we'll see in this journey through this beautiful life, he was good news for the sinner and the saint, the Jew and the non-Jew, the sick, the confused, the hungry, the poor, the up-and-coming, and the down-and-out. He is good news for the Republican, and he is good news for the Democrat. He is good news for the cat lover and the dog lover. He is good news for you today even if you're not a Washington Nationals fan, it's his rules, not mine. He's good news for you today no matter what you've done in your past. He is good news for you. He will forgive you. He will save you. He will redeem you. He will heal you. He will purpose you. He will empower you. And he will deploy you to share his good news with other people. He is good news for all people. And that's what we're going to see as we journey through Mark. He will also change you, which brings us to the second aspect of this beautiful life. This beautiful life will change you. In these opening verses, we're introduced to John the Baptist and his ministry. John the Baptist was, was quite a character. He was countercultural before it was cool. He, was, he might have been like a hippie. I don't know what we would have described him like, but he rolled out his ministry in the wilderness. His clothes were made of camel hair and not the kind that professors in college wore, you know, the cool blazer. He ate bugs and then washed those bugs down with honey. I mean, people heard this message and they came to him to be baptized as a symbol of their commitment to repent from their sins and to change. This message of repentance was to create this awareness and prepare people to be ready to receive Jesus. You know, later in chapter 1, we read that John the Baptist was put in prison. And then Mark says that Jesus announced his ministry by saying, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Read it with me. Repent. Repent and believe the good news. The Greek word for repent means to change one's mind for the better. In the context of John the Baptist, it was to change one's mind about sin and turn away. In the statement of Jesus, it is even more comprehensive. It means to change one's mind 
about the life apart from God, lived with self at the center, to the life with God, to embrace all of life under God's rule and God's reign and God's way. It is to move from a self-centered life to a God-centered life. I think often when we hear the word repentance, we kind of get that. But it's another one of those words, sort of like gospel, that can kind of go right over our heads because we've heard it so much. And one of the things that, that I'm concerned about at times is often for people who are, who are uh, open to religion. Often people who are religious, there are times even that our religious views, even well-meaning, are not necessarily in alignment with God's views and God's way. I remember several years ago there was a bumper sticker, maybe I've shared this before, that said something like, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. What a bad verse. What a bad bumper sticker, right? Because really it's God said it, that settles it whether you believe it or not. And we often put ourselves to be the arbiter of what God really means and what God really desires or how God really is. We set ourselves up in the middle there. And if we believe it, then that settles it. When Jesus said to forgive, he meant to forgive, not just those you like. When he said to pray for those who insult and persecute you, he meant it. When he said to worship God and God only, and not self, and not family, and not the nation, he meant it. When Jesus told three parables about God's heart for those who are lost and leaving the 99, which means the church folks, to prioritize and go after those who are not sitting in church. He meant it. When Jesus reached out to those on the margin, the leper, the prostitute, the people who were known sinners, he meant for his church to do the same. He actually meant it. When Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it, he didn't mean for his church to stay sequestered in padded seats and stained glass windows and ivory towers. No, he meant for us to go out and share the love of Jesus. When Jesus chatted with the woman at the well, he meant for us to minister in proximity to those who have different values, different beliefs, and different ideas about God than we have. So we need to remember when we hear this call to repentance, we need to examine ourselves and ask the Lord, from what sins do we need to repent? What practices and points of view that are not in alignment with God do we need to repent from? And what are ministry callings that God is issuing that we need to change some aspects of our lives to follow? That is repentance. Saying yes is every much repentance. Saying yes to God is every much repentance as saying no to sin. Because it's turning from life under our control and our desires and turning to God and God's control and God's desire. The beautiful life of Jesus will change you. It will change the way you see yourself. It will change the way you see others. It will change the way you see God. Lastly, this beautiful life is possible for you. It's possible. Not just available, but possible. Our last verse for today, verse 8, John the Baptist says, after me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, the heart's desire 
to turn to God. Jesus' baptism was a baptism of the heart. When you yield your heart to Jesus, you receive salvation and you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that works in you and enables you and empowers you to walk in repentance and empowers you to live the beautiful life of Christ. I want to make sure to be clear here. In our tradition, we consider the rite of baptism to be very important. And the rite of baptism, though, does not save you. The rite of baptism is the symbol of what has already saved you through your faith in Jesus Christ. Your heart, when you confess Jesus Christ and you invite Him to take residence in your life, you receive the Holy Spirit, and in that moment you are baptized in Christ. That very moment. Water has nothing to do with that. You're baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is why, for example, in our tradition, when we baptize someone, we say we are buried with Christ, right? And we're raised to new life. In our tradition, this is why we baptize someone after they have given their heart to Jesus Christ, after they've, they're old enough to confess faith in Him of their own, not even as precious as it is their parents' faith. This is why we don't baptize children. We dedicate children. We baptize people after they've confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And this baptism is a baptism of the heart. It is an indwelling and an infilling of the Holy Spirit. And it gives the life of Jesus possibility in ours. It gives us all we need to live for Him. I can't help but think about St. Paul who went from persecuting Christians to being persecuted. And what was the difference? It was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in his life that came when he placed his faith in Jesus. Everything that we cover in this series about the beautiful life of Jesus is available to you and possible to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Judy was right. You really can't hide beauty, but I'll edit it. You can't hide the beauty of Jesus lived out in his followers. I'm so forward to looking forward. I'm looking forward to all that God has in store for us as we take this journey together. And it is so fitting that we start this journey by remembering our Lord through the bread and the cup. So let's now bow our heads in prayer. And Pastor Brian is going to come. I'm going to pray for us. Then Pastor Brian is going to come and lead us in our time of communion. Let's pray together. And as you prepare your heart to receive communion, I want to give each one of us in this room the opportunity to just silently, between you and the Lord, confess your sins to God. Take this moment to confess your sins to the Lord. Now let me ask you to offer prayers of repentance. Tell God that you seek His grace, you desire His grace to repent and to turn into His life.
I invite you to offer prayers of commitment to walking humbly with God. And I invite you to offer prayers of gratitude for the salvation and life of Jesus. Lord God, hear the prayers of your people this morning. Draw near to us as we draw near to you through the bread and the cup. In Jesus' name, amen.